0: My name's Andrew Kays, and I'm the pastor at Emmanuel Evangelical Lutheran Church of Paynes Point. That's in rural Oregon, Illinois. You're about to hear me preach. Now, this episode was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, during which time public worship has been disrupted. We don't have it every Sunday. Therefore, all sermons have been recorded ahead of time to make them available online. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture is NRSV, used under the gratis policy of the copyright holder, the National Council of Churches. The Holy Gospel, according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter, Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to them, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. Then he asked another, How much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If, then, you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. The gospel of our Lord indeed. Such good news for you, if you have any idea what that meant. (laughs) What did we just read? That sure was one confusing parable. The man is commended for what's essentially sneakily stealing from his boss and then he's commended anyway like good job now there's the door well maybe we need some context to clear it up we've skipped a few verses between last week and this week but you may recall last week we had the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin if we had read straight through we would have had the prodigal son and then today's reading and we get squandering again so it's kind of reminiscent of the prodigal son, though it's not clear what and how much has been lost. Now, if we had kept reading, we would have heard uh, the Pharisees who were there. They took offense to all this, and as Luke tells us, they loved money. And, And from there, Jesus introduces the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, the one where the rich man treated Lazarus so poorly. We hear about him going to hell beyond this unpassable chasm. That's what comes before and after today's reading, and then tacked on at the end of the parable, we get a bit of an explanation from Jesus, though it sounds like there's at least two different explanations given, and they don't quite answer all of our questions. So, let's consider the parable and some of those unanswered questions. We've got a rich man, and he has a steward taking care of the rich man's affairs. And then charges are brought against him. Someone on the outside notices he's been wasting the rich man's property. So he calls the manager. He demands an accounting because he's going to be fired now, and presumably the next manager will need the books up to date. Seems fair. And the manager realizes he's not just a lousy manager, but he's going to make a lousy ditch digger too and a lousy beggar at that. So, he sets out to instead secure his future with favors. He apparently doesn't know who owes the master how much, so he sets out and asks a few people what they think they owe the rich man and then tells them to cut the bill down. That is a pretty clever trick. He's already fired anyway. He's already failed to keep track of those debts anyway. If the debts just sort of disappear, he'll be just as fired anyway, and now he'll have endeared himself to some of his neighbors. He can take the blame for all of that, and the only one who really suffers is a rich man who hadn't noticed his wealth being squandered until someone else brought charges. You might think of somebody. Buying a big screen TV on their credit card shortly before declaring bankruptcy and clearing out that debt? Sure, it's fraud, but hey, it's clever fraud. Well, maybe more appropriate to the parable would be buying something that at least helps somebody else. Well, anyway, then in the parable, somebody commends him for having behaved shrewdly. He had been wasteful, apparently bad at his job. Arguably, we could say he was unwise at his work, but at least near the end here, He has been wise. And who is that somebody who commends him? Well, the translators at the NRSV seem to think it was the very same rich man who was set on firing him anyway. Again, that's quite the thing, right? To get a job well done from your boss as he pats you on the back and shows you the door. But the Greek would read simply the Lord, which may well be referring to Jesus. It might be that Jesus is suggesting this Wasteful-turned-wise manager at least did the right thing in that situation. But what was the right thing? That's tough, because a simple reading might go something like this. He worked with what he had to survive, and the crime was kind of victimless, and people who were in debt benefited from it. Perhaps Jesus is lifting up a Robin Hood-type situation in which it's okay to rob the rich so long as you give it to the poor. But that's way out of character for Jesus, especially when we remember that other aspect of the context. We're on the journey to Jerusalem and considering the high cost of discipleship. That call is to give of ourselves and help the powerless and the otherwise unseen. Deceptive self-interest seems kind of like the opposite of that, or at least at odds with that. And Jesus' next remark seems to suggest the same. Children of this age are more shrewd than are the children of light. The manager seems to be one of this age. The, The shrewdness is commended, but not the man himself. Perhaps not even the specific actions he took. After all, it's job well done, now there's the door. So that's a bit confusing. Whether it's Jesus or the worldly master commending the manager, whether his shrewdness outweighs his squandering, and so on. Well, what about us? We get a couple possible explanations on how this might be good news for us or how it's to instruct us. If you're faithful in a little, you'll be faithful in much. If you're dishonest in a little, you'll be dishonest in much. So if you want to be trusted with a lot, if you want true riches, you need to be faithful with what you have. And if it comes to stewarding another person's riches, you better do the same. Considering this explanation, the problem is that the manager was bad at his job. He wasn't faithful with what he managed, and he wasn't honest with it either. So his reward will be of this age, and the one who would give him his own riches, his own reward, is threatening, at least in the subtext, threatening not to give it to him. Sure, he was shrewd; good for him, he probably won't starve, but he may live to regret his faithlessness and dishonesty. Commended though he is, maybe he's the example of what not to do. But then Jesus offers a second possibility at least a second maybe even a third here no slave can serve two masters if you're pulled in two directions the time will come sooner or later where you must choose you can't serve an idol and god they occupy the same space in our lives so if we read this back in we might ask who was the manager's master and who else was he trying to serve The rich man, sure, of course, whose affairs he manages, but also, as Jesus said, wealth. With that, we might assume the manager was squandering wealth out of some misguided self-interest. He thought he could enrich himself at the expense of the manager, and that eventually caught up with him. Trying to serve his master and wealth got him into this sticky situation. At this point, we could juggle... Three lessons from this text, and perhaps together they resolve some of this confusion. The shrewdness is commended. Be faithful with what you have. You cannot serve God and wealth. But maybe if we reverse the order, serving God means not serving wealth. It means our own possessions, our lives, ourselves, are secondary to God's call. Yet God's calling puts some degree of power or resources at our disposal, so we are to use them well. Then if we stumble, be wise on the way down. So at least others who are powerless might find some relief from their literal or metaphorical debts. From there, we might ask where we choose wealth over God. Where are we reckless with our resources, and where are we unwise during a crisis, and so on. It might just convict us to do better on all fronts, to do better than the manager had. But one last thing, considering that context and what it means for us, and this curious way this parable falls into the middle of an almost continuous set of four parables, the lost sheep, whom the shepherd would leave in the wilderness to go after, the lost coin, which the woman would overturn her house to find, the prodigal son who squandered his inheritance, but was welcomed home. Then we get this story. Then a different rich man burning in hell because of how he treated the poor and powerless. There's a progression of sorts there, a a continuum. The sheep and the coin are hapless and helpless. And despite the hardship they cause, they are sought after and rejoiced over. The prodigal son is not so much hapless and not at all helpless, at least not to start. He's instead empowered to live his life as he sees fit. He wastes what he has and becomes desperate. And then he repents, turns his mind and face toward his home, humbles himself as he returns. And they kill the fatted calf in celebration for his return. Those are extreme examples of reunification and rejoicing. The rich man, at the end, is a strong counterexample. He's home, wealthy the whole time. He never figures it out. He never repents, at least not in this life. And then he finds himself in excruciating torment. He's an extreme example in the other direction. What can happen if you don't change your ways? The manager in today's parable kind of falls in between. He has some power, some resources, but not all that much. He screws up bad enough to be fired, but not so bad as to be jailed or stoned or something worse. He recovers his situation a bit, though this Robin Hood-esque ministry doesn't really he doesn't really repent in that. He's commended, but not rejoiced over. He's confusing because he doesn't come from these extremes that are kind of easy to figure out, the extremes that make these other parables quicker to wrap our heads around. He's here in the messiness of the world where incompetent people get compensated and lousy people get lauded. We can point to what he does well without rejoicing over it and without calling it some sort of redemption arc. Maybe this is such a confusing difficult parable because it's so much closer to home than what we're used to. We aren't the devoted disciples who've given everything away to then follow Jesus to die with him by the cross. We hold some of it back. We look out for our futures just in case. We aren't repenting from such a situation to warrant the fatted calf, but we aren't so far gone be beyond the unpassable chasm either we're sinful people in a broken world and some days despite our past despite our missteps despite our uncertain futures the good news confusing as it may be is that the one who creates redeems sustains who defines and judges meaning and value and worthiness might speak a good word to you of all people, in the midst of all that. A commendation of sorts. That you are doing well with what you have, what you've been given, what you have to deal with, what you have ahead of you. You are doing the best you can with what you got. And that's all anyone can ask. Job well done, but never mind the door. Your job's not done yet. God's not done with you yet. Amen. Thanks for listening. I pray God spoke to you in some way. A quick note at the end here, which you can skip if you've heard it before. The audio of my sermons does not always include proper citations. While I do some self-study and lean on my seminary education, I also lean on my colleagues with whom we have a regular text study. I also use Luther Seminary's Working Preacher website and their podcast, Sermon Brainwave. Some credit is due to at least one of those sources. Wherever you are, whenever you hear this, please be well. Take care of yourself and each other, and have a great rest of the week.